You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You've probably heard of Mace, the brand that invented pepper spray. Mace also has tons of awesome self-defense products. Pepper sprays, pepper guns, stun guns, personal alarms, and more. With Mace, you're prepared for scary situations like creepy parking garages or dark alleys. Visit mace.com and check out their combo kits. The Mace combo kit includes all the tools you need to protect yourself. To get 20% off your combo kit today, use promo code CRIME. 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 Crime, crime, crime. That's promo code crime. Crime. Promo code crime. 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 I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about true crime, pop culture, journalism. And this week, we'll talk about a podcast with paperback sensibility. Another true crime documentary goes Hollywood, and we'll zoom in on the return of HBO's prestige crime drama, True Detective Season 3. Joining me to get all that done and more is my real-life husband and true crime co-author, former TV journalist Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Good day. Evening. evening, evening again. I'm sorry. I'm just. I'm so uh, disoriented. Disoriented because uh, I'm celebrating that Patriots win in the Super Bowl. Oh gosh. Or because we're recording oh, this really? before. Or should I say, congratulations to the Los Angeles Rams on a game well played. Oh, poor known cheater Tom Brady didn't get it this time. Is that what you're preparing for? I, I'm absolutely not. I'm just. <laughs> I'm sure well, that well. we have another ring. I'm just saying. Cover the bases. I, it actually is. Impossible to get tired Nobody of who listens to this podcast cares about your stupid football team, Kevin. Nobody. That's right. I, I could that. care less. <laughs> also with us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, certified cat lady, and chocolate-covered coffee bean addict. And Tom Brady fan. Laura Bricker. <laughs> Hello, Laura. Hello, yeah. So this afternoon, it was really freezing here we're in the polar vortex i stopped at the store and got these espresso coffee beans and i like chocolate covered ones now listen to me i sound like i'm on crack i cannot <laughs> stop eating them and then i had wine and and so this is going to be a fun night folks yes, we're talking like, so fast we're going to be like one of those <laughs> shitty like uh crime and coffee bean podcasts you know those all those ones that are like that they're johnny booter made fun of <laughs> yeah they're just so good and they're so small and i got this new bowl from my fab fit fun box which may or may not be in this week and it is the perfect size to hold like a whole container of them and um, it's mysteriously a deep ball. Okay. Laura Bricker. Uh, I got it. it. Uh, Sexual fiend and coffee bean. Or... uh... My head may feel like it's like leaving my head right now. Also joining us is our resident Doubting Thomas, the author behind the noir novels known as the City Trilogy and our own... Patreon book club host, Toby Ball. Good evening, Toby. Can you live up to what Laura Bricker is laying down tonight? Rebecca, <laughs> not fixing to even try. Southern Toby is way slower. It's like Stephen Dorff has uh, joined our podcast. <laughs> All right, well, I, a couple- I can't. You, you go on ahead, ma'am. <laughs> Don't you worry, I will. I'll see you on the next lap. Oh, my gosh. Anybody who's just listening to this podcast for the first time tonight is like, Who's Quick. been drinking the mace? 
<laughs> Diet mace. Uh, <laughs> mace with lime. All right. Well, Chipotle mace. <laughs> one thing I want to mention is that next week on the podcast, and I should just say, like, when we say next week on the podcast, obviously, because of what happened two weeks ago on the podcast, we are subject to audibles being called and doing different things if circumstances make that necessary. Oh, my God. She's still chewing a coffee. (laughs) But next week on the podcast right now, we are planning on discussing the Ted Bundy tapes. And in our first block, uh, we will talk a little bit about the podcast, The Dropout, which is about corporate fraud and a young CEO who convinced a whole lot of people her company was doing hills more than it actually was. So right now, that is what's in the docket. All right. So, Kevin, can you please read this for me to start off tonight's show? True True crime update. Now, fellow panelists, you may remember the Netflix documentary Wild Wild Country that we reviewed on this show. That is the deep dive into Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh's 1980s cult. Now, it looks like there's going to be a movie about that story's most compelling and, to me, most likable character, Sheila. Or most hateable. (laughs) Actress Priyanka Chopra says she's working on adapting the Netflix docuseries into a feature film that will focus on Sheila, the Bhagwan's cutthroat top aide who basically ran the cult from behind the scenes. Isn't that the actress who married one of the Jonas Brothers? Yes, she just did marry one of the Jonas Brothers, yes. And she's one of those like, super famous people Jonas. who's like, she's very famous, but I don't know why, because I don't watch the thing that she's in. She's in that show Quantico, which I don't watch. Oh, yeah, it's on and ABC. And she's famous for yeah. other things that I also don't watch. Every time I see like Priyanka Chopra, everyone's like, ooh, ooh, and I'm like, who is that? But apparently <laughs> she's super famous, and she is... Uh, very suited, I think, to do this documentary because she's Indian and she's yeah. super interested in this story. You think she can deliver the line, tough titties? <laughs> so, Kevin, do you think that we need a scripted version of the story? You are not as much of a Sheila fan as I am. What do you think? Oh, no, I think it was a fantastic story. So, yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, why not do a, a dramatized version of that? I mean, it's fascinating. Uh, Toby, what do you and think about- And hopefully there'll be more sex than there was in the actual documentary, <laughs> because apparently they had a lot of sex, and they just kind of glazed over that. Toby, do you agree with Kevin? There should be more sex. This should be scripted, and we should, in fact, go see it. What do you think, Toby? All those things, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm psyched. I hadn't heard that before, but- it sounds great. I'll definitely go and see it. Toby, do you think that Sheila does stand up as the best character in that story? Like, looking back now, Wild Wild Country came out a few months ago. But, like, she is the most iconic character from that story, right? Well, what's the competition? <laughs> the the Bogwan himself, yeah. who's just, like, he seems to be in a stupor most of the time. Yep. The mayor. And then there's yeah. that crying lawyer guy yeah yeah and, no it's definitely sheila and then i'm having a hard time coming up uh, oh and then uh the australian woman it's, it's either her like- or it's a guy the former mayor who they right. were talking to yeah. the corrupt doctor who gives yeah. the shots there's probably yeah. some some good townsfolk that we forgot about <laughs> that's true people with beautiful like mid-century modern furniture who live in that ranch mm-hmm. but yeah. they're no sheila come on no Tough sheila's yeah. pretty bad no, she's sheila's- pretty badass like i wouldn't tangle with sheila She's got the best, like, story arc, definitely. It's true. And that's why I love her the most, even though Kevin thinks that she's a villain. She tried to poison an entire town. That <laughs> is not is a, a redeeming she's quality. She's a complicated character. <laughs> unlike, unlike, like, everybody in True Detective, she has, like, many facets to her personality. She's a feminist <laughs> hero. Makes she you arranged feel the ways. murder of a doctor. Yeah. Feminist hero. Feminist hero. <laughs> All, right. All right, Kevin, can you please read this for me? Sure. True Crime Podcast Update. 
I just want to spend a minute previewing a big podcast project that was previewed this week by Gimlet Media, the HBO of podcast production companies. This is a new podcast they're coming out with called Conviction. In the South Bronx, there are people fighting every day. I know my son was innocent and I couldn't prove it. I didn't know how to. Fighting a police force that wants to lock them up and a justice system that wants to break them down. You have people pleading guilty every day in that courthouse to things that they did not do. In that fight, the people of the South Bronx are at a big disadvantage. But they do have one secret weapon. Can you tell me, what's your name? I'm Private Investigator Manuel Gomez. What do you do? Now I see myself as a, as a punisher for the wicked. I see myself as a bringer of justice for the good. I protect the weak. Okay, so we hear that this story is the first in Gimlet's new series called Conviction. It will feature a new piece of investigative reporting each season. Now, Laura, first I want to ask you before I just sort of like uh, throw out another question about Conviction. We hear that this private detective... He sees himself as a protector of the weak and is kind of like a Batman-like superhero. Is that how you saw yourself when you worked as a private detective, Laura Bricker? What do you think? It actually is. Um, I definitely saw myself as fighting for the underdog and making the system fair. But unfortunately, I did not have like a pen that was like a gun or like a watch <laughs> that was like a camera. And I, I, I mean, I think I could have been so much more if I had had those tools. Do you ever have a disguise? Uh, no. Not even a wig or dark glasses? <laughs> no, no, because I always just looked like some like random housewife, so people didn't really pay too much attention to me. <laughs> no. I, I actually remember one time I was like sitting outside someplace waiting to go in, and I had been on like the waiting list. You guys probably know this, for like the... Um, What's that North Pole thing they do up north? Oh, the um, Polar Express. Express. Yeah. I was on the Polar Express waiting list and it was like they call you and if you don't answer in five minutes, you lose your ticket. So mm-hmm. I was sitting in like this like very rough neighborhood in my little suburban housewife car getting my tickets before I went in to go interview some drug dealer. So <laughs> um, I didn't need a disguise. <laughs> well, all right. <laughs> Hold on a second, Mad Dog. I have to take this call. Yes, I'll be on Santa's train. <laughs> I... <laughs> Now, I just want to throw out sort of my take on hearing this trailer. Because, by the way, it sounds very good and interesting. But I do have, like, a problem that I don't know how you're going to feel about it, Kevin or Toby. But I'm just going to throw it out there and see what you guys think. This is the third uh, big rollout of a true crime series that Gimlet has done. I mean, I think about Crime Town. Mm-hmm. And I think about Mogul, which is another series that partner, someone partnered mm-hmm. with Gimlet to make. And this is, once again... A male host reporter and a very bro, masculine, sort of rock and roll, uh, like hip hop, like sensibility, like dude story. I mean, that's how it sounds to me when I listen to this trailer. And we have talked about on the show many, many times the fact that some of like the best true crime reporting, the most thoughtful stuff that's been made and done in the last few years has been anchored by women, run by women, sort of women narrators at the center. And I'm wondering, has Gimlet just made like an editorial choice here? Like, we're, we're going to do true crime, but we're going to do like dude true crime. Am I the only one who hears that? I hear it. I think you can color with more than one crayon. What does that mean? <laughs> well, <laughs> what? Well, look, there are a lot of different... That's sweet. T- that's good, right? There are a lot of different TV networks out there that cater to different kinds of audiences. And so I, yeah. I just because the best stuff has been anchored by women, it doesn't mean that 
the next wave of best stuff can't be anchored by men, or that men can't do something that is a little different or whatever, or, or, or hits a different audience. I mean, I don't think it's disqualifying because you're a male uh, writer. Is that what you're getting at? No, I don't think so either. As you know, I worked on no. Bear Brook, which yeah. was anchored by a male reporter. Right. But there is a distinctly masculine sound sure. to all three yeah. of the big true crime products that Gimlet has put out. And yes. I'm wondering if that is it is it an editorial choice they're making or that's just coincidence. What do you think, Toby? Well, I don't think it's coincidence. I mean, I don't know if they're like, we're going to be the hard-hitting male true crime thing or not, but I think the other two uh, were pretty successful, right? Mm -hmm. So they probably think, you know, this is what we're good at. It's not as though we have to sort of address a problem of female underrepresentation in this of all genres. So why not fill that that piece? Because I guess they're good at it. I mean, I didn't, I listened to the, the preview and I was like, this doesn't sound quite genuine to me. Mm. The idea that we're going to follow him around and watch him wrestle with his demons. Just <laughs> like, you know what it reminded me of, I, I, just, I don't see how that works. It was in like the same vein of like like a dog, the bounty hunter kind of thing. It was yeah. like uh-huh. dog, the bounty hunter goes Brooklyn P.I., lots of testosterone, Manny. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, I, I'm still going to listen. It sounds interesting. It just definitely had that sort of slant to it to me. As long yeah. as it's good is all I care about. Well, I I will say, I mean, I don't now like I follow a lot of this industry and everything everybody puts out. And I see like the big pushes for shows that get pushed out from places like Gimlet. And I follow that stuff closely because I care a lot about the industry. And this is the only thing that I find like a tiny bit troubling about Gimlet right now. And by the way, like I know they're making lots of stuff that's very inclusive. I know a lot of people who work there who work on a lot of different shows that are super interesting. But I think about like the huge pushes out. This conviction is getting like a huge marketing push. They're branding it as like a new serialized like episodic thing Mm -hmm. with seasons. Mm -hmm. One of the things that came out last year that got like a huge branding push like this was The Habitat which was anchored by, reported by a woman, and was actually just about whether or not people hooked up inside of a tent, basically, is what it ended up being about. And I do, I I do, but I do hate seeing like the more substantive investigative reporting stuff. Like they seem to have branded that, like the Reply All, which is a substantive podcast, which does some investigative stuff and interesting reporting, also anchored by two men, mostly male voices on that show. I do feel like Gimlet is getting like a tiny bit bro, and like I so? just I want them to lean back the other way. I really do. What? Why do they need to? But why can't everybody they be doesn't both? have to do that, though. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. just I'm just telling you what I see, and what would make me want to listen to it a little bit more. Look, there's Elmore Leonard, there's Raymond Chandler, there's Dashiell Hammett. None of those guys were writing in a time where women could have the opportunities they had. They're not good examples. But no, no, no. But there's also uh, there's also. From that era? Nobody. There's also Agatha Christie. Oh, please. No, no, no. I'm not saying like errors. I'm not saying errors. I'm saying you're talking about style. Right. Right? I mean, I I don't know. I don't know if, you know, you need to solve all the gender problems in the world by just choosing who's going to have a good true crime podcast. But I'm saying, can just anybody make a really good one? Yes. I don't care what the style is. I don't care what the subject is. I don't care who the executive producer is. Just make something. And if it sounds different, that's great. I think it's going to, I mean, they do turn out a good podcast. They turn out a good podcast, you know, regardless of what it's about. It won't um, be bad. (laughs) Let's put it that way. 
it won't be bad and there's probably like a huge HBO series deal in place. Look, if it sucks, <laughs> it's not going to be because it was bro-centric. But I'll tell you when I heard it, that was what stuck out to me. And that's all I wanted to say about I think it. The, I think the bro-centric like turf has been pretty well staked out at this point. It has. Yeah. They own it. No, they don't. <laughs> our, our boy Payne Lindsay owns that. These guys are like. Oh my god! Can you imagine like a beautifully produced? Like imagine if Gimlet decided to just go like straight up. Like let's just grab the most popular thing and like the Gimlet like HBO quality podcast around Payne Lindsay. I would pay to listen to that. That would be amazing. All right, Kevin, uh, can you please read another one of these for me? True True Crime Crime Podcast Podcast Update. update. There is a whole nother entrant into the True Crime Podcast field. Macmillan Publishing is out with Case Closed. The publisher seeks to use its true crime catalog as the source material for its new podcast. Case Closed positions itself differently in the true crime podcast market. There's a lot of true crime out there. But it seems like the most interesting cases always go unsolved. You invest your time in someone's story only to walk away frustrated that the cops hit a dead end and the killer's still out there. We do things a little differently here. From Macmillan Podcasts, this is Case Closed. I'm Charlie Spicer, and this is a show about the times the bad guy didn't get away with it. The times the good guys know exactly who the killer is, and how sometimes that's just the beginning of the story. So we're not going to review Case Closed, and we'll go into why in a minute. But I want to discuss this question with you guys. Um, Are these stories, the stories of cases that have been solved, or the bad guys behind bars, are these the kind of stories that listeners want to hear right now? Kevin, what do you think? It's a good question, because... We have said many times that the pendulum has swung in what public tastes are regarding true crime. When we started writing true crime books, the the thing that people wanted and the things that publishers would publish, and I think this is an important point, are cases yep. that have been fully adjudicated, and we knew mm-hmm. who the bad guy was, and they got their comeuppance, and it was a complete story. And when something like Serial came on, and was so unique, and it sort of left the idea that you could talk about a cold case or an unsolved case, and those were all the imitators after it, People loved that, and so the taste went there, and they would rather listen to stories about where the system failed as opposed to the time where the system worked. That's a big sea change. So, you know, the question is, yeah, do people want to listen to a podcast, which is like that? Because I will also say that books, that true crime publishing is not like that with the same thing as podcasting. Right. It is not like, here's a whole bunch of you know, with some exceptions, it's not a whole bunch of cold cases that have never been solved and we don't know who the killer is. Right. Yeah. So the narrator of this podcast, Charlie Spicer, I apparently am the only person on this panel who has no conflict of interest <laughs> reviewing something that this guy has made and appears in. So oh, I don't know. I don't know anything about him. OK. Oh. Uh, Macmillan, Charlie Spicer, like there's a reason why like we can't straight up review this podcast and it's not contractual. It's more just sort of like to be transparent, like a previous contact uh, situation. Yeah, right, I mean, Kevin? I, I'll, I'll say that Charlie Spicer picked up the uh, paperback rights to uh, Wicked Intentions, my first book. That's the only thing he has. My, But 
Charlie was the one who who did it. Yeah. And Laura, you've had also had contact with Charlie Spicer, right? I'll tell you. So he is like the godfather of true crime book editors in New York. And mm. when I got an agent and I was getting ready to try to do a proposal and sell a book, she was like right off the bat, okay, we're going to see if we can get you in with Charlie Spicer. And guess what? <laughs> he said no. Um, but he's he's like, if you look at, you know, the list of true crime books that have sold, this guy buys all the true crime mass market paperbacks for the most part. Um, mm. He's like the leading editor who picks it, but he's one of the few left. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's like a couple, but, but he's been there forever. I mean, yep. cause like I have a book in here and, and I haven't cleaned it out with my Marie Kondo cleaning yet from like <laughs> 1993 where he's talking, there's like a chapter, it's like editors on editing, and there's a chapter where he's talking about what they want in true crime books. Hmm. And they want, you know, lifestyles of the rich and famous, that's always big, but it is a case that's resolved. And I kind of wonder if, you know, we're trying to like, harken back to a time in true crime that has come and gone. Mm. And they're trying to piggyback on the podcasting, you know, industry, because that's, that's where people are really consuming true crime now to kind of revive that or if, or if that has already come and gone. And most people really, you know, if they want to see a resolved case, they're going to turn on like investigation discovery or dateline or whatever. And that the, the book industry is different now. So it, it'll be curious for me to see how this kind of pans out. Now, Toby, you don't have a conflict with Charlie Spicer or Macmillan, or do you? No, but Macmillan published my first two books. Okay, so I think I can still talk about speak this podcast. Oh yeah, bias. okay. Yeah, I, can talk. I don't have a conflict. That was just my little connection. Yeah, yeah no, I think we have to disclose that yeah. uh, it's just disclosure, not a yeah. conflict. So, Toby, what do you think of what Laura just said? Like, there is an audience, maybe or maybe not, for basically what is a rehashing of a story that has already been written in a book where something bad happened and somebody went to jail for it, which used to be what true crime was. Something bad happened, here was the trial, and then somebody went to jail. Are we past that, Toby? What do you think? I don't think so. Like, I haven't listened to all of Cold, for instance, but it seems like there have been more podcasts that have been, like, stories that have come to their conclusion, and you kind of know, like, if you look, if you can, you can know what happened, and so they're just you know, investigations into something that's already kind of done. And I think that was the same thing with broken hearts or whatever. I mean, you know what, you know what the conclusion is. So it's a little bit different than, you know, serial or, or uh, somebody knows something and stuff like that, where it was like, we don't know what's going to happen and let's see if we can figure it out. But in the case of this, I mean, it's, it's pretty clearly just an advertisement, right? I yes. mean, it's, it's just synergetic cross promotion out. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That, that was, I'm the editor well. and I'm going to take some of the tape that she's got from, you know, her interviews for this book and, you know, we'll throw it together and it'll be a good advertisement. And I think I'm not saying that's yeah. bad I, in some yeah. ways. I think it's like, you know, if I'd written a true crime book like that and somebody wanted to make like a three hour or whatever it's going to end up being two hour promo podcast for it where you're kind yeah. of telling the story in a cool way, I'd be all for it. I mean, I, I think that's fine. But but it, that is what it is. But you're but you're describing it from the author's perspective, Toby. Like if I made a book and someone wanted to either call the person who I interviewed for my book again and tape the conversation and I couldn't tell whether those were original tapes or new phone calls they made of the same sources. Well, so, yeah. Does it well, matter? a woman's voice in the matter, background. Right? Yeah. They were yeah, horrible Shannon tapes. Hogan. And I, I did a yeah. blurb for one of Shannon yeah. Hogan's books too. No, Another I'm disclosure. not. This is not Shannon yeah. Hogan's fault. But I'm false? just saying like. I don't think it's anybody's no. fault. No. But it's like this is a commercial for a book. It's not. Yes. And, and I think yeah, that if you okay. go into yeah. it as a podcast listener knowing it's a commercial for a book. And if 
you're not going to have the same experience of like listening to a story unfold because you're getting an editor telling no, what no. happens in the book and then playing I, tape of stuff that I have from the book. But I that's a podcast. It. I don't think that. Is it? Yeah. Well, it it's, is. it's a combination. Sure. It could either be the most brilliant use of marketing or it could be the total skeeviest thing we've ever heard. But. I will say that as an editor, I was kind of surprised that, I mean, Charlie Spicer has a very good narrating voice. He does a really good job hosting this. But like Rebecca said, you're, you're always like coming out in February, the newest book, yeah. if you want more information, buy the whole book in February. So I wasn't sure at the end of this first episode is... Is the next episode a different story? No. Or are we actually going to hear more of this, this gotta be story? The, well, mo- this this, this um, season's going to be the story, the the missing marine. Okay, so so it's it is interesting because it's like okay, so why would somebody have incentive to buy the book if they're hearing the whole story <laughs> on the podcast? I mean, like because you're you're getting basically the narration in the beginning sounded exactly like the start of a true crime book. Well, the only thing I can think of, Laura, and I don't know this because we haven't published a book in a while, is that this may have been part of the publishing deal like this may have yeah. been a rights portion right we don't yeah. know yeah, yeah it could have been I mean, but it also just be like a really great marketing idea because yeah. nobody right. is doing this they may just get to the point where they're just like and then buy the book to find out you know, <laughs> what happens buy more oval team but they, but they just promise they're not going to leave you hanging that's the whole point oh uh, i guess that's true right. i don't know i that's mean i think big... it is but I, I think it is like legitimately like you listen to it and you're like wow that's a super interesting story i'd like to find out more about it and then there's this book that you can buy to do just that. I, I think it could be done really well. I think it would be even, from my perspective, better if Charlie Spicer would talk a little bit about, mm-hmm. you know, the writing and editing of the book and stuff. Like, I think if, if you could, like, as you say, Rebecca, like, peel back the curtain a little bit on the process. If you combine those two things, telling the story and then also telling the story of what it was like to create the book, I think that would be a pretty cool podcast. So I don't I don't think just like the mere like idea that you're putting a podcast to promote a book is necessarily bad. Right. But it would be cool if you did something cool with it. Yeah. Uh, rather than just kind of summarize something that's a little bit longer in the book itself. I don't disagree with you, Toby. We're hearing about all these sort of like multimedia deals now. Like think about Dirty John, which started as a Los Angeles Times article then became a podcast and then became both a scripted series and a docu-series. Like, right, but I- a story that has an ending, which yeah. a lot of podcasts don't. Correct. But the idea of doing things on those multiple channels is great. Yeah. My question is, like, is this a podcast you'd want to listen to if you never planned on buying the book? Like that, I don't know. I'll tell you, I listened well, to no, the first I mean, episode. I mean, the discussion is not about this particular podcast. I know, but- It's I- the idea of, is this a good Area of source material, right. but I can also say that like, I don't like the podcast. Like as a podcast, that's just my opinion. Okay, I can. I'm comfortable saying that. That I that's great. I mean, Charlie I Spicer holds all these rights in our hands, and that you crush them, and <laughs> yeah. you know, we got hey. kids going to college. <laughs> exactly. So that's fine. That, that's not reckless write, at all. I didn't write that book with you, Kevin. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but see, like the Venn diagram of like true crime fans, where you have those who watch the TV networks. And those that listen to the podcast, those two things do not always overlap with those who read the books. Right. And so while there's, you know, you would think there's a huge market of these true crime fans who would pick up these books, they just don't for whatever reason. Correct. And they haven't been able to get there. Toby's right that it would be kind of interesting to like get a little more of sort of the The here's how stuff, but 
that is not a true crime. That's not a book sensibility at all. Right. This is what they're talking yeah. about. We're going to bring all of that that we do in a true crime book and the way that we do it and the way that we package it, and we're going to make a podcast. And it's going to be either... I don't think it's going to be like, oh, we're going to swing the pendulum back the other way. But it's going to be like, there is this offering too. And maybe it suits your taste and maybe doesn't suit anybody's taste. But this is the kind of thing that we're going to do. We're going to try to sort of influence your taste, just like Daily Harvest does. Oh, just like that. Yes. When was the last time you ate a very nourishing breakfast? Oh, it's been a long time. I got to admit. Yeah. The best I can do is to get like the processed omelet. Yeah. Instead of with you know instead of all the processed bacon and stuff that <laughs> yeah. goes with it. Yeah. As Yuck. I'm driving through the drive-through. Yeah. I had like some sad bread and some Sounds sad awesome. like Nutella this morning. I really wanted a good breakfast. What's my alternative, Kevin? Well, Daily Harvest, oh, of course. Oh, sign me up. Where do I sign up? Where do you sign up? You want me to skip to the end where I say go to <laughs> daily-harvest.com and enter promo code CRIME? CRIME, yes. Yeah, uh, well, how about I tell you some of the other things here that okay. we're contractually obligated to mention. Okay. Daily Harvest delivers carefully sourced, chef-crafted food built on fruits and vegetables. Everything stays fresh in your freezer until you're ready to eat it. Choose from over 50 nourishing options for any time of day, ready-to-blend smoothies, savory harvest bowl soups, and even more. I'm going to pivot to my friend, Laura Bricker. Ooh, Laura Bricker. Who loves herself Ooh. some daily harvest. So breakfast, but also lunch, snack, could even be a dinner. Anytime. Uh, you know what I love about the Daily Harvest is they sneak all these super healthy ingredients into the smoothies, and um, you don't even know they're in there. Like cauliflower, like who would think to put that in a smoothie? Not me. Um, but it's delicious. And uh, then I feel a little bit healthier when I'm drinking my cauliflower. Daily Harvest is the easiest, most delicious way to load up on fruits and vegetables it first is. thing in the morning, after bed. And anytime in between, go to daily-harvest.com and enter promo code CRIME, CRIME to get three cups free in your first box. That's promo code CRIME, CRIME. for three free Daily Harvest cups at daily-harvest.com, daily-harvest.com. I believe I asked you to sign me up for Daily Harvest as an anniversary gift, Kevin. Is that on the way, yes or no? Yes. Daily-harvest.com, promo code CRIME. What else you got, Kevin? Well, support for today's show comes from Legacy Box, the world's largest, most trusted digitizer of home movies and photos. Okay, so those of us who are older than 20 have a whole bunch of photographs. Those of us. You mean all of us? All of us, yes. But mm-hmm. maybe you, fair listener, have only known photographs in digital form. I'll tell you, like, this whole Marie Kondo thing, like, Legacy Box coming out with this product at this time mm-hmm. is perfect for the sentimental yeah. part of the sorting and tidying you're doing yeah. in your house. So, you mean, after you've gone and folded all of your laundry That's into right. thirds and propped them up. You know, all And those... you move on to yes. all your photos. You know, we found all those photos and CDs and discs mm-hmm. and everything in our filing cabinet. They're all yeah. in a big pile. Yeah. Throw them in a legacy box, get them digitized. Marie Kondo will nod and smile in approval. Yeah. I'm guessing. Absolutely. What else are you going to do with that stuff? Uh, These sags that's still in a pile in your office? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You're certainly not going to go through it and start, oh, I'm going to put all this stuff in the scanner. That's why I bought the scanner. Nope, not doing that. I'm going to just say it. (laughs) Bullshit. You are not going to ever do that. (laughs) Do I have to beep that out? (laughs) You probably have to. Yeah, you're going to have to beep that out. I'm again calling bullshit. You are, you are never, ever going to do that. But you still want those all in digital. And what about like all the different odd 
video formats and different cassettes that you have that like you'll never be able to watch that ever again so now you can save all those family films and photos and they won't get lost they won't turn yellow they won't get folded and ripped up all you have to do is put it in your legacy box you just take everything and you just put it in there and mail it to them you don't have to like fold it and put paper clips and label things they're going to digitize everything you get a great peace of mind and a great sense of accomplishment better yet you will ensure your family history is preserved mm. forever there's never been a better time to digitally preserve those memories never visit legacybox.com today to get started plus for a limited time they're offering our listeners an exclusive discount go to legacybox.com slash crime crime for 40 percent off your first order Whoa. Go to, yeah that's legacybox.com slash crime and crime. save 40% today. Get started preserving your past. Moving on. HBO has returned with a third season of its prestige crime anthology, True Detective. This installment stars Mahershala Ali as Detective Wayne Hayes, who we see in three different timelines. And each he is grappling with a 1980 kidnapping of two children and the post-conviction twists that challenge him, even as an old man. Before you ever knew me, I wasn't scared much. I wasn't a fearful man. Things I've seen, things I know, wouldn't do anything but cause harm. My whole brain's a bunch of missing pieces. This season looks to breathe new life into the series, utilizing the things that made season one so good. A neo-Gothic setting, stylized cinematography, shifting timelines, an unreliable narrator, and an all-star cast. Creator Nick Pizzolatto is clearly swinging for the fences in an attempt to return True Detective to its once-revered form. Now, we are going to be talking about plot points and our own theories for True Detective, so if you want to remain spoiler-free, jump to the time code listed in the show notes. So here's my like larger question about True Detective. Is it a story about a crime, or is it just a character study? Kevin, what do you think? Oh, I think it's a character study, you know, folded around a, cr- a good crime story. At least that's what they've tried. I mean, the characters in season one were super interesting, you know, not so much in season two. And I think that they're definitely trying to return to form with some, you know, with some very salt of the earth characters who are flawed. Their dramas are writ large. So I think that, you know, while the crime has to be interesting in order to sustain Eight episodes, ten episodes, how many of our episodes there are. Uh, but I think it's, you know, like most good drama, like The Wire, like The Sopranos, that it should be character driven. I completely disagree with you. I think it should be about the story and the character should be a big part of it. And I do not think The Wire was about the characters. But we can talk about that another okay, maybe day. Maybe that was a bad example. <laughs> I want to talk about how about we per- argue afterwards. I want to talk about the performances <laughs> in this season True Detective. Because we have some we have heavy hitter, Marshall Ali, Oscar winning actor Marsha Ali as Detective Wayne Hayes. We have a surprisingly great performance by Vape Pitchman Stephen Dorf <laughs> as Detective Roland West. We have Carmen Ijogo as Amelia Reardon, that's Hayes' wife. We have Mamie Gummer, aka Meryl Streep's daughter, one of Meryl Streep's daughters, as the victim's mom, Lucy Purcell. We what happened have, to her eyebrows? We have Scoot McNary as Tom Purcell, the victim's dad. Mm. Uh, we know him from Godless and Argo. And we have, and does anyone recognize the actress playing TV host, uh, Alyssa Montgomery? Anyone on this panel recognize her? 
Okay. Uh, I guess that's a no. That's Sarah Gadon or Gadon who played Alias Grace uh, in, in the show we reviewed on oh. this show, Alias Grace, Canadian actress Sarah Gadon. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, Same person. Um, I guess what I'm wondering is we can talk about a lot of stuff on this show, but I don't think it would be fair to say that any of these performances are anything less than great. Toby, what do you think? Yeah, no, I like, I think they have to do some heavy lifting. Uh, <laughs> Talk about that. Well, I think the the dialogue is tough, you know? I don't think it's it doesn't at least ring true to me. And like 90% of it is awful and then 10% of it's pretty good. Mm. So I think they are kind of put in this situation. And for the most part, like the men at least, like they just kind of mumble all their lines. <laughs> but I, I think they managed to do that well, uh, given what they have. <laughs> like I, I, Stephen Dorff, I think, like, I guess I just haven't really thought about him very much in my no, life. No, you but, haven't. Uh, but he's, he's really good. Like, he's really fun to watch. White children. If it's in the paper, it's white children. That one, we're not going to solve the racial complexities of our day here in your front yard. Maybe you could tell us where you were the night of the seventh. I'm really enjoying his performance, but I, yeah, I I don't know. I, I kind of find I'm sure we'll explore this more, but <laughs> I'm finding it kind of kind of tough sledding. No, I agree with you on Stephen Dorff. I have to say, my expectations were not like super high, and he's bringing it. And as far as the mumbling goes, I do want to mention a comment because you just made that comment, and then also we got a bunch of comments on our Facebook group. One in particular from Stacy, who says, my only issue with the season of True Detective is how much Marshall Ellie mumbles. I know it's the style of the show, but I can't understand him half the time, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I want to know anything and everything you'll be pulled together why are you doing this now i will say this again and kevin i have said this on a previous episode of this show hbo does not know how to mix audio for these shows <laughs> it's hard to understand we watch game of thrones we watch true detective we watch insecure another show i love Every single show I watch on HBO, I'm turning it up, I'm turning it down, I'm turning it up, I'm turning it down. Things are overmodulated, they are undermodulated, they're overbased, undertroubled. Whoever is doing sound design for the HC's HBO shows, like, get your shit together. Or who's ever doing audio compression for their streaming and on-demand stuff, get your shit together. We cannot hear what people are saying. Am I wrong, Kevin? You're not wrong. <laughs> it's not Marshala no. Ali's fault. He is not well, mumbling. Well, just let him speak, for God's sake. It I mean, is he's HBO's like, fault. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that it's is like, the character, on. though, you know? and um, But it's I, like all of them. You know, they're all like The dad them. is like that. Both the detectives are like that. You know, it's like... It's, it's the all Ozarks. These, like, sort of, no one's happy. The, the, these very sort of like mumbled, significant like things that they say. It's... it's uh, I don't know. Every inch of that place is them kids. I can't be there. I can't sleep there. I just want to die all the time. What is frustrating, and I will give Toby credit, is that, you know, talking, we're going to get into this in a second, the uneven writing. Uh -huh. There are some great pieces of dialogue that are the most mumbled pieces of dialogue. Like in your show. trials and versatility? No, like when the guy says to Marshall Ali's character, like, How are you going to wear that badge? 
Carlo clip on. <laughs> I mean, that was a great piece of dialogue. That's a good line, yeah. Anyway, so Laura, there are three timelines in this series. Yes. There's a 1990 timeline, there's a 1980 timeline, and then there's like the present day, in quotey quotes, timeline. And I think we're supposed to be able to tell the 80s one and the 90s one by uh, Mara Shali's haircut, because yeah. in the old one he has like yeah. the all over afro, and then in the 90s, he has the high fade. The high fade. Um, are you confused at play. all? Yes. Are you confused at all by the timelines on the show and how the story is rolling out? Do you find yourself being able to track, or do you find that confusing? Well, it took a little bit to get used to. Um, once I figured out, yes, there's three timelines and these are the people. And, and obviously the one character has like a porn star haircut in the first timeline and then not, not so much in the second timeline. Uh, that's Roland the partner. And then in the third timeline, Roland the partner was like MIA. That's right. So I'm not really sure what happened to him. Until the once you figure out a sy- Yeah, you find a system, you know, you can follow it. And I think... That, for me, so far has been the most compelling part of this whole series is these three timelines. You know, what I'm thinking at this point is, yeah, okay, so the guy in the third timeline has dementia, or does he? Uh, Has he actually been, like, you know, got, like, something that's making him black out what happened that's not dementia-related that's going to come to light as this series continues? But I feel like we're also not being given a lot of information. Like, we're really being parceled out the information very you know slowly so it's like okay so we know something was overturned we're not sure why we're not sure who was convicted at this point so that definitely makes it for me a little bit slower following the story but you know I'm hoping it's all going to come together at the end but that, that is actually my question about the plotting of the story Lara is that we know we're told basically in the first episode or two that there was a crime. Mm-hmm. There was some kind of conviction. Mm-hmm. There was some yes. kind of overturning. And there's some kind of new investigation. But without yes. knowing what the original conviction is, like, do we even care about something being overturned? Like, that's my question is like, we have so few pieces that yeah. in the second timeline, and, and specifically when he's got called back in to reinvestigate in the third timeline, when he's being asked by this TV reporter, about the reinvestigation of it, or you're like, what overturned thing? Who was convicted? Do you feel, Laura, like you would have benefited from at least one of those stories, just like being given it as a layup? Like, this is what happened in one of these timelines. Well, I I would have, but that's just me because I'm somebody who needs to know information like all the time, not even just in a TV show. So I definitely wanted to know a little more like what's going on so I could feel a little, little more invested in where the story was going. And it was getting frustrating when I said, okay, there's a purpose. There's a reason they haven't told us this information. You know, I'm hoping there's a reason and it's not just going to be like, okay, it falls flat and we should have told you. But then that adds to a lot more of my speculation as I'm watching this. I mean, I have like 30 different theories going right now. So I think if they do it well, their, their hope is that they will give you the payoff of three mysteries, one in each timeline. And I do like it, you know, when they reveal things bit by bit by bit, that is part of uh, of narrative, you know, is that you don't give everything out in chapter one. That's what I liked so, about season one of the show, for sure. So, right. We have essentially three big questions that go along with the three different timelines. Who was arrested for the first, you know, in, in, in 1980? What happened in 1990? And is this all going to be resolved in the, the present day? And there are all sorts of things along the way. Hmm. Um, so I find that, you know, as the characters are discovering things, of course, we are with them as well. But there are other parts of the story that have yet to be revealed. It's the only way to keep people 
you know, watching for additional episodes in, in any series is to, you know, want them to know more and more and more. So you have to give out enough, but you can't give out everything. I was thinking about like when they had a meeting after season two sucked <laughs> and they were like, well, you know, maybe we should, we, you know, we, we didn't have enough timelines, you know, the first one we had two timelines, this one we only had one. So it's like, you know, we could do three timelines for the next one. It'll be even, I mean, it, but do eight anyway, next time even better. Well, Toby, exactly. one of the notes that you sent me, I mean, the showrunner on this show is Nick Pizzolatto. And then we know just because I read a lot of articles about the shows that we talk about, he didn't write all the episodes for this season like he did for season one. He wrote episode four, which was the first episode we actually get that full voice of his in, which I actually think I noticed, even though I didn't know that before I read the recap, which I found that out. But you kind of addressed what that sort of like um, amorphous in between. Maybe we'll get this, but maybe we won't thing in a note you sent me when which you said He's good at setting atmosphere. He's good at getting good and interesting directors. He's good at talking really good actors into into delivering his 90% shitty-ass lines. (laughs) Occasionally, his dialogue is good, but not that often. But he sucks at everything else. And I think what you're speaking to there is just what, like, we heard Kevin and Laura say, which is, we've been served up this beautiful platter... But what will it be at the end of the evening? What do you think, like, Toby, about just sort of what this series is at this point? Is it proving that theory of yours true? Of course it is. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I wish I was more optimistic about things because, you know, I don't even like, again, as I've said, like, 10 zillion times, like, I thought the first three episodes of True Detective 1 were good, and then everyone since then has been awful. You know, I, I just, I've been watching this, and I keep waiting for there to be a scene where I'm not like, oh, okay, you know, that's standard, that's standard, that's standard. The only thing that's really been something where if you read it in a book, you wouldn't just be like, really? Is the scene where they find the boy and, you know, they've got those weird little dolls and he's like laid out and stuff. So that kind of atmosphere stuff, he's pretty good at, but like, like there's no scene at which I ever feel like, you know, oh, that's interesting. Or, oh, I haven't seen that before. It's like scene after scene is derivative or cliched or or something. Give us an example of a derivative and cliched scene. So, you know, just right off the bat, which is where I started to get that horrible sinking feeling. You know, there, there's two things that happen at the beginning. One is, you know, you see the father and he's doing something on, you know, he's got a day off or it's the weekend or something while his kids go off. And it's like, well, what would be the most cliched possible thing to do for like a Southern blue collar guy to do on his day off? Well, it's probably work on his car in his driveway with like the hood up (laughs) for hours and hours and hours, like neglecting everything else. And then the first time you see the detectives, they're like hanging out in lawn chairs, drinking beers in a dump, shooting at rats. Right. And it's like, you know, again, it's like this has been done before. Right. I mean, it's been done on your own on your own network. You know, that that's like the wire where they go to like these like empty lots to drink beers when they're like blowing stuff off. The whole thing just seems like this collection of like somebody who's read a lot of like detective novels, but hasn't really thought about how I'm going to make them different. It's like super, super average, in my opinion. I don't disagree with anything that you just said, and I will add one thing to it, 
which is that Nick Pizzolatto's portrayal of women, which I complained about in both season one and season two, continues to be incredibly problematic in this season. Even the scene that passes sort of the test of like, what is it called? The Bechtel test of like a scene scene that isn't about uh, women talking about men or a scene where like there are any men in it. Can I tell you something? Amelia? Of course. I've got the soul of a whore. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like, Like there can't even be one scene with two super interesting women characters where one of them isn't questioning her life's choices because she likes having sex. Yeah, I I think there's a a lot of problematic portrayals of women. One of the things that's problematic for me is, and Kevin, I'd love your take on this. No, you wouldn't. No, I actually would. (laughs) Because I do think a huge recurring theme in this show is the post-Vietnam, Vietnam vet story. Mm -hmm. We have Hayes, who we know is a Vietnam vet. He was a scout. Yep. They both the both guys are yeah during the war and you know we said over and over again and then we see him in the later scene and he has dementia and there are all these like the ghost scene was really interesting was it I thought it was or was it just weird what did you think well I mean probably both but did you notice there was uh, some people in there who weren't soldiers yes these were like quite literally the ghosts of who a man is haunted by or at who that killed. age who killed right these probably represent in some way, both metaphysical and symbolically and and, uh, and delusionally, you know, the people whose lives he's taken uh, throughout the years who he is, you know, needs to come to terms with. And there are obviously a lot of soldiers, you know, from his time as, you know, this, this LARP, this long-range reconnaissance uh, guy. But there's also, which is t- tantalizing, is, you know, a guy in a suit and tie or a guy in a shirt and tie. Looks like Dorf, doesn't he? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Also, there's um, you know, a guy kid with long hair. Yep. One of the went could West be Memphis no three could be kids. right could be yeah. What the bike kid could be that I found that scene really interesting. This is also you know a guy who has some kind of memory issue. But was it well theme done? Of, that's a theme of this is is memory. But that's my my question for you is this, and this yeah. I, I don't mean this to like I'm not trying to tell you that what you just said was interesting isn't interesting. Did you think it was that scene was actually well done? I mean, Toby made a really good point. He compared it to the dementia scene in Castle Rock with Sissy Spacek. Uh-huh. And sort of the way they portray dementia in that show is this like very multi-layered, confusing thing versus Marshala Ali in a room in his house, literally surrounded by people in costume who are just standing next to him while he's looking out a window. I think Marshala Ali's performance in that scene is what carries it. I mean, he's he's a, you know, a-list actor, right? And I think that by not in- necessarily engaging with those things around him is what makes it interesting. Remember, he's he's a really great, unreliable narrator, and yeah. I love those kinds of stories. And obviously, what is around him, are we supposed to believe it's actually there? Is this all in his mind? And if that's all in his mind, are his remembrances of 1980, 1990 also accurate? All right. Well, let's just talk about um, some details of the story. Laura Bricker, one of the side stories is uh, Trash Man, Brett Woodward. Yeah. Another mm-hmm. Vietnam veteran. Uh, yeah. He's the one who's picking up trash, who's maybe a witness to the crime, and who has this whole side story in the episodes. What do you think about this like sort of meandering side narrative that the show is bringing to us here with Trash Man? Well, I mean, obviously, the first thing that catches your eye is this whole like thing that he's like go-kart, like 
like trash cart that he's driving around. So you're like, okay, this is definitely like a true detective quirky kind of thing that's going on here. But, you know, as it goes on, I have to wonder if this is something that's kind of testing you a little bit because you're watching these people that are assuming he's guilty the townspeople who like beat him up with pipes and like assume that he's like a pedophile and all this stuff. But, you know, I have to wonder in the end of all of this, if he's actually the witness that knows what happened. And that's going to be the irony is like they they beat the shit out of him. But actually, he was the good guy all along. So, Toby, another side plot. Uh, I don't want to call it side because I think that all of these plots are meant to sort of tease potential suspects in the case. We're supposed to be now virulently like guessing like who did it even though the show doesn't actually tell us to do that that's what we're supposed to be doing uh we have the three teenagers freddie ryan and jason we see them at the beginning of the series in that purple bug we see them throwing a lot of shade we see one of them driving around on one of the kids bikes and then we see them sort of being brought in for interrogation and this whole thing smells a whole lot like the west memphis three narrative to me what do you think of this uh side road in the story toby yeah i haven't been like guessing because <laughs> he doesn't care yeah i just i it's hard for me to i i, I don't know i mean it just doesn't seem like there's enough there to uh really like get my interest or whatever you know as compared to other things where you're like well it could be this guy it could be this guy this is just like well there he happened to be there and he had his fingerprints on the bike oh i wonder if it was them mm. um yeah i mean whatever i I, I don't know. I mean, it just, it just, again, it's just like maybe it's these sort of troubled kids who go partying and, you know, are mean to little kids. You know, I, I guess it could be. I don't know. How do you feel about the Dungeons and Dragons uh, potential I story? really hope it has. I really hope the solution has to do with Dun- Dungeons so do and I. Dragons. Because that I would be. I think it does, so. I, I'm afraid I, I, I will change everything I thought about this if Dungeons and Dragons ends up being like the key. <laughs> because it would be like. Just sort of the the perfect twist, but again, I don't know with Nick, with Pizzolatto, like he like brings stuff up that's kind of like, huh, that's weird, and then it just doesn't go anywhere. You like mean a peephole? Like, yeah, like the peephole with the cousin, like the racist lady who makes the dolls. Which, by the way, this yeah. is this is a typical Pizzolatto scene, right? Like this is how the writing of episode four, which he wrote was so much worse than the other episodes. So they have these couple of very interesting scenes where Marshala Ali's character, Hayes, ends up being the bad cop, like in a bunch of scenarios. Like in that earlier episode, he beats up the dude. He's the one who's always bringing up prison rape as a thing in interviews, which is like, dude. Something like, happens to his career like, in those stop 10 years. It. Like, yeah. yeah, like he has sort of some surprising moments. But then they go to interview this like clearly racist woman and she's like didn't recognize him um negro man like yourself uh, oh, he had a dead eye uh, filmy you know like a cataracts and then he obviously knows she's racist so he's trying to get her to say something else like nothing about his face besides the eye handsome ugly like i say uh, he was black but is he good looking is he ugly is he, she's like I just said he's black and he has like a dead eye. And I'm thinking like, 
But actually, even from a racist person, that's actually a super good description of a person. I think, yes. <laughs> like, do we need to know if he's good looking? Yeah, what more do you want? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if somebody literally has a dead eye that's all milky, doesn't that kind of negate whether or not they might be good looking? It's just poor writing. He's a handsome man with one eye. It stands <laughs> out, Rebecca, when you it's see him on the street. snap in his step. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> has a tremendous singing so, voice. So, Kevin, another uh, story which I think is integral, but again, presented as a side story, is the marital relationship mm-hmm. between Hayes and Amelia, his right, wife. Right. We don't know where she is today. We don't know where she is today. We think she's dead. We, you know, we, we hear she's dead. We hear she's dead. She's definitely okay, right. dead. Right. We know she was a teacher. She's in the earliest timeline as a co-investigator. She's in the second timeline mm. as a wife slash antagonist slash investigator in a different way with her own true crime book slash yeah. when we fight, we're going to have sex kind of wife. Right. We had a very yeah. intriguing How come scene I can't get that? They actually have like a, like a hardcore marital fight that turns super weird. Yeah. Do not talk shit in my face and walk away. I don't want to be around you right now. You want me to leave you alone and stop talking shit? Because when you talk shit about me, I'm required to defend myself. How can you defend yourself? You can't defend yourself because you don't know what's wrong. Did the wife in your scenario play any part in the conflict, any role the last 10 years? Let go of me, Wayne. Stop talking shit about me. Or what? Well, I'm going to start crying. Well, I, th- I think this is, you know, the creator trying to come up with a, a different couple. Mm. You know, again, not the same married couple. Uh, the uh, I'm married to a cop and you don't understand me. You know, I mean, I think you always try to do something that hasn't been done before. And I, I can't say that, you know, as far as that dynamic. Well, I mean, we've seen different shades of that. Right. You know, the, the thing that she is, she's writing this book about his time. I mean, I, we've already established true crime writers, horrible people. Right. Horrible. We're all horrible. But, no, here, here, but here's a question. Real Charlie question Spicer though. is waiting to buy her book. So in Timeline 2, yeah. we know that she's written a true crime book about his case. Yep. And that she has the galleys. It was about to be published. Yep. But then she's the one who goes to the cops to get more information. And then he's put back on the case. Like, he's not completely disqualified because his wife is writing a true crime book about this case. Would that not be just, like somewhat disqualifying? Probably. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. What do you think, yeah. Laura? Yeah, I think she's suspect. I, I don't know. I, I don't like her. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's definitely disqualifying. And it's definitely sort of sketchy in terms of like right from the beginning, you feel like, are they really only married because she wanted to get to him to write the true crime book? I mm. mean, is that really what was going on here? Or was there something more nefarious going on? Like, well, like she could be the killer? Well, that is a like, I think she's. Theory. I think she's yes. the killer. That's, I think she could be the killer. Laura, you are not alone. That theory has been put out there in many online articles about, is Amelia actually the killer? She's either the killer or she knows who the killer is, and the killer is actually the mother who we see are having a little heart-to-heart with in the most recent episode, and like perhaps the mother who worked at the chicken factory gave her kid away to the chicken factory people whose granddaughter looked just like her who died. That's, that's a weird... That's met in the woods. Yeah, that, that's probably going to get fleshed out more, I would hope, otherwise it just becomes this weird tangent. Yeah. But the whole thing about... The chicken factory and the owner, and it's a There's, little, it's a little sharp. There's objects-ish. something with the chicken factory. Yeah, yeah. He's off in Africa. Can we just say, like, this show borrows from so many things? Like, there's West well, Memphis do, Three stuff. Yeah. There's any Vietnam thing you've ever seen stuff. And I know that it was like made contemporaneously with Sharp Objects, so like they obviously weren't borrowing, but it feels so 
borrowed to me like over and over yeah. and over again. So it's like in Gone Girl where she's not actually gone, but she fakes her disappearance. It's like you have to wonder if the missing girl whose fingerprints turn up all those years later was off in Africa, not really dead, but disappeared with the guy from the chicken factory. Yeah, or like in the Casey Affleck movie, Gone Baby Gone, where the girl was kidnapped. Great movie. And given to... Morgan Freeman, where she would have had a much better life than being with her mom, Amy Adams. Amy Ryan. Oh, Amy, Amy Ryan. Ryan. Amy Ryan. You're right. That movie is great. Casey Affleck is problematic, but we can go on record saying that movie is Titus great. Titus Welliver is good. They put the plug in the jug. The the thing that will finally like will break my mind is if it uh, ends up the uh, solution is the same thing as... Uh, the girl with a dragon tattoo and a place of execution, <laughs> which is she's kidnapped to keep her from being sexually assaulted by her father. That's right. So somebody like like took her away just to, just to save her. Right, right, to save her, which is how Stieg Larsson stole from Val McDermott to make his big bestseller. Anyway, what were you talking about? No, super meta. I actually really wanted to hear all of your theories. And without having to ask you, you just gave them all to me. I also kind of buy into the Amelia as maybe villain theory that's been floated out there. And we did give ample spoiler warnings, so I don't feel guilty about saying so. Before we review True Detective Season 3, can I just like like throw out a couple of comments our very smart listeners made on our Facebook discussion group? Mm-hmm. Katie, my childhood friend who I know in real life and love, says, Stephen Dorff was better than expected. I usually think of him as a low-rent Luke Perry but have been pleasantly surprised. I think we all agree with that. Yeah. Anna Maria uh, th- threw in a really interesting comment. She said, the show balances, quote, big hot button issues in the three timelines, child abduction and murder in small town suspicions in the 80s, wrongful convictions, questioning investigations in the 90s, and the true crime blog slash documentary and the effects of memory in the present day. She's not wrong. Not wrong. And her question is, does the show balance them well or is it trying to do too much? I think that's a super interesting question. And on that note, I'm going to say, let's do what we do and tell our listeners if they haven't yet done so, should they check out True Detective Season 3, Thumbs Up or Thumbs Down, Laura Bricker, Caffeine Injected Laura Bricker. I'm going to start with you. (laughs) What do you think? I'm losing my caffeine buzz. Um, I'm going to say thumbs up because, you know, season one was really interesting. Season two, and eh, we all know that. This this is bringing it back, but it's a different type of detective story. It's a little bit slower in the way it's paced out. It's a little more nuanced. You have to pay attention. But I really think with three different timelines in the story, something really interesting, I have hope, is going to happen at the conclusion that is going to make this all worthwhile. Oh, you're so optimistic. Toby Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down? For True Detective season three, what do you think? I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm a thumbs down. The thing is, is that there are things about it that are good and interesting, but it has none of that has anything to do with the story or anything like that. Like I would almost rather just like put on some tunes and just watch it mm. without the sound on. Um, <laughs> I don't see what there is to recommend the story. I, I just it just seems totally derivative and average and not very original and with all the money and star power and effort that goes into it, it it's just you know, it seems like a waste. But do you recommend it? <laughs> yeah. For you, Kevin, um, I hope you watch the whole thing. I'm gonna do a weird thing and I'm gonna say I agree with everything that Toby just said. But I'm going to give it a thumbs up only because I plan on watching the rest of it with the hope that it saves itself 
but I'm not like 100% sure it's gonna. And I would love to, Kevin, when it's all over in four weeks, just like maybe you and I could just check in with Laura if she keeps watching it and just say like, what do we say now? Right now I'm going to say I'm hopeful. The, the performances are fantastic. Mm-hmm. I actually think Stephen Dorff an actor who I completely forgot about, except for the fact that he's in those stupid fucking vape commercials, is revelatory in this. Marshall Ali is always great, and the performances are great, and the atmosphere stuff is great. I don't give a shit about the story, but I'm going to keep watching it. So I'm going to give it a thumbs up on that basis and hope that it delivers. But I also agree with everything Toby just said. What about you, Kevin? No, I'm a thumbs up. I mean, I really like it. I think True Detective does not belong in modern day Los Angeles. So you got to, you know, and the 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 escape from Hooker Mountain. Uh, we can't have, you know, that whole season <laughs> was a waste. But I I feel like what True Detective is in season one, and it planted that flag, and I think is back there in this season. It's about, you know, a different time. Not about timelines necessarily, but th- but that's interesting. Particular setting and place. You called it neo gothic. You know that is very much kind of like. I think it has, you know, this sort of atmosphere and feel to it and, um, you know, some moody performances. And those are the things that I like. And I think that the mystery, uh, I like the pace. For me, it's the right pace for it to, uh, you know, reveal itself uh, bit by bit. I will definitely be watching on Sunday nights. I probably will order a little bit of food. And the folks that can bring it to me are from Postmates. Wait a minute. Did you just say I've, Postmates? I've never come- heard of that. I have. That. That's a big deal if they're sponsoring this podcast, Kevin. Yeah. You, you know, who do you call when you want red wine at 4 p.m., sushi at 9, or a breakfast burrito at 8 a.m.? It's Postmates, your personal food delivery, grocery delivery, whatever you can think of delivery service. So no more trips Ooh. to the store. You don't even have to know where the store is because Postmates will deliver anything to you within an hour, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. They are the largest on-demand network in the known universe. And with uh, more than 25,000 partner merchants, you just got to just download the app for iOS or Android for free and you browse what local restaurants and businesses are there and you can even track your delivery. So for a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. Shut up. Say that again. Yeah, it's $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. So order wherever you like, get the stuff. The delivery part, $100 in credit for the first seven days. Man, you could buy a lot of meals. Yeah, I could. Uh, You could, yeah, you could definitely use up that $100 and, well, then you're hooked, right? To start your free deliveries, just download the app right now, and then you use code CWO. That's C-W-O. code CWO for $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Get anything you need, anytime you need it. Download Postmates and save with code CWO. CWO. What else you got, Kevin? Well, uh, suppose that you're just too busy doing your podcast to like really get the house clean. Happens all the time. What are you going to do? You're going to use Handy. It's oh. the easy and convenient way to book home cleanings. I love Handy. Compare profiles and read real customer reviews and book on your schedule right from the app or website. All of Handy services are backed by the Handy Happiness Guarantee and all pros on Handy are background checked. All you got to do is learn more at Handy.com. Plus with Handy's clear upfront pricing, what you see is what you pay and you can pay securely on the app so no need to worry about cash 
or checks. Now, to get your first three-hour cleaning for $39 when you sign up for a plan, visit handy.com slash crime, crime and use promo code crime, crime. during checkout. I use the app. You could schedule the time. You just flip right through. You can also pick from a couple of different people. I thought it was very easy. You go to handy.com slash crime and use promo code crime during checkout to get your first three-hour cleaning for $39 once you sign up for a plan. Recurring charge terms and conditions apply. That's handy.com to learn more. Now it's time for my favorite part of this podcast, a little something I like to call the crime Crime of of the the week. week. A Florida man has been arrested for threatening to kill his neighbors with kindness. The problem is that kindness is the name of his machete. (laughs) Two concerned neighbors went to Brian Stewart's house worried about all the loud noises coming from inside. After opening the door, Stewart stood inside the doorway with a weapon over his head. One of the neighbors got a gash on his hand trying to block a blow from kindness the knife. Police had to taser Stewart, who was combative and smelled like alcohol. Investigators found that, sure enough, he had written the word kindness on the side of his machete blade. Panel, here's my question. This guy felt the need to give his trusty machete a name. What other possessions has this man named and what were those names? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. What do you think? I got to go with the obvious one, um, Mr. Winky. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean. <laughs> Did he call it Mr. Winky? Was it obvious? <laughs> Mr. Happy? I don't know. Mr. Handy? Mr. Handy Winky? Um, I don't know. I, I Toby's probably got something better than that, but that's all I could think of. What do you think, Toby? What other possessions has this man obviously named? This is a tough one since I didn't read it beforehand, so I'm trying to think of this on the fly. Do you want a minute? We could pause the recording while you think of something. Uh, Toby can come up with something, guys. He's a professional writer. Give him a fucking minute. The name is Little Fuzzy Mittens. (laughs) 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 Kevin, I'm going to say that this guy has a toilet named Flower. What do you think he has named his possessions, Kevin Flynn? Well, if he named his uh, machete Kindness, mm-hmm. I think he named his handgun Bangy. Mm, yeah, it sounds very <laughs> literal. Yes. All right. We should probably end it on that note. Bang. But before we do, Lara Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? We have probably the best animal of the week, in my opinion, that we have had in quite some time. Really? Coming from Western Australia, <gasps> Sam the sheep. Oh. <laughs> Owned by May Connolly. His name is Sam, and he is supposed to live in a paddock on our farm, but chooses to live in our backyard instead. His favorite food is stone fruit, huh. and he knocks at the door when he wants something. And if you doubt that, she has sent a lovely video of Sam coming to the door. Knock, knock, knock with his little paw. With his little hoof, I mean. He knocks with his little hoof. She throws out, like, a nectarine. He chomps it up and spits the pit out and then wanders off. Oh, Sam. Um, Sam the sheep. I mean, he is awesome. So, good job, May. All right. Laura Bricker, if people would like to submit their animals to be Cat of the Week, whether they are cats, dogs, iguanas, sheep, llamas, whatever kind of animals they'd like to submit. Emus. Emus. And <laughs> they can either, of course, email crimewriters.gmail.com. But if they'd rather tweet you directly, Caribou. how can they find you online, Lara Bricker? At Lara Bricker. And Toby Ball, people want to reach out to you and commiserate with you for hating True Detective as much <laughs> as you do because they feel the same way. 
How can they find you online? Well, first of all, um, if I can, I'm going to be, you could actually talk to me in person about it. <gasps> Tell uh, us, Toby. A week, a week from this Wednesday, if you're actually listening to this when it comes out. Uh, so February the 13th, 2019, if you're late to this. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be at the Durham Public Library in fabulous Durham, New Hampshire at uh, six o'clock uh, talking about podcasting and true crime and all that kind of stuff. We'd be happy to chat with you about how much I hate True Detective. Um, <laughs> but if you want to just do it virtually, it's at Toby Ball NH. So you're doing a library event in your hometown. And we are publicizing another podcast that is going all around the world. Mm-hmm. That's right. There's that a train that you know, stops We're very there, convenient. So. Yeah, you can you fly into Boston. Yeah. Boston's an international airport. You and take just, the train. You know, the damn track. Hop dude. on the C&J bus up here. I'll pick you up. We once did an event in a mall that people flew in to go see. So I do I believe know. people could show up for your Durham, New Hampshire event. Maybe we, Kevin I, and I will come. Should we, Kevin? Mm-hmm. Should we go? Depends. That would be amazing. <laughs> we had an event in a barn, and people, guess, remember, we had yeah. Marla from California. I guess That's we're not true. recording that night. All right, Kevin Flynn, if people want to reach out to you on Twitter, how can they reach you? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you, strenuously, to join the amazing community that includes people like Jeff and Java Chick in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. We also have a regular old Facebook page. If you just want to follow us there, you can do that. Go to our website to sign up for our newsletter. That's crimewriterson.com. And please do support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You will get access to the Balls Deep Dive Book Club podcast and Laura Bricker's Rage Walking True Crime Fitness Fun Group. Our theme song was performed by the New York Ska Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our basement where we hide our Star Wars figures and Dungeons and Dragons dice. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. (laughs) I really want a stun gun. That sounds kind of cool. <laughs> I could have a lot of uses for that, like homework time. I almost just beat a little bit when she said that, like homework time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Like, tell me you haven't made jokes about that in your life, and now here it is right in front of us. <laughs>